This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut. Every Wednesday, you'll be chilling with me and my guests, who are some of the quirkiest, geekiest people we can find on the internet about how they do money and life. Sit back, relax. We are a few days away from the weekend. Welcome to Chill Swift TFC. I kind of agree in the sense that you know, the, the best time to start is yesterday, right? It, oh. It's not It's not. I need to have a certain amount that I go all in. It's a process. It has to be repeatable. It has to be sustainable. You have to do this repeatedly, mm. right? So it's a bit like building a muscle, right? It's not very convincing. I'm not very convincing. I'm very better. I showed you like a couple of 10 years ago. Welcome to Chills with TFC, where we sit down with the geekiest, quirkiest individuals to learn about how they do money and life. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Yorochi Financial Coconut, and today we go back to basics. Yes, basics are important to focus on the biggest beast of personal finance, which is investing. It's been a while, and I think it's especially important for new coconuts out there, and also a refresher for everyone around the do's and don'ts of investing and how to think about the markets, the skill sets, the mindsets involved to be a good retail investor. I know it's a lot, so this is going to be a two-part series, and I'm super glad to be back in studio with Thomas Chua from Steady Compounding, one of the leading voices for retail investing, and also you know one guy that's very hard to get on shows, huh? And of course, Anthony. Our in-house investment geek. So this is Chills with TFC. Yeah, so for part two today, we actually have something special, right? We we got sponsorship. Um, So we have this pair of Audio Technica earbuds to give away. Wireless, so you can listen to our podcast anywhere on the go without having wires, like kind of that tangling or style, oh, right? Not bad, huh? Not I know, bad. right? Yeah, hey, that's for a good style. Yeah, so, so, what to, <laughs> so what you need to do, so not everybody will win this, right? We, we need not get thousands of sponsorships. <laughs> what you need to do to win this is share this two-part series on Instagram, tag us, and include a blurb on what's your most insightful takeaway from all this. We'll judge it. So obviously, if you just say you agree everything Anthony says, Good job. <laughs> I vote for you. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> got three votes, got three votes. We're clear for Thomas also, okay? So, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a great plug until, until you continue to that part, okay? Yeah. But anyway, and how to win this, essentially you share the podcast on your socials, on Instagram, and tag us at the Financial Coconut and then do a short blurb. Yes. Right, yeah, don't pick Anthony, pick mine, right? I'll let you win, okay? So yes. you want to win my vote, you pick my point, right? So do a short blurb of what you learn, right? Yeah. And then we will decide. It's not random, uh, we get to decide, okay? And, and don't worry, this is not based on your follower count or yeah, 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 yeah. It's nothing no, no, about no. that. Yeah, it's it's just the one we like best. Yeah, the one we like best. Common, we we just have feeling. You know? Yeah, we have feelings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, must make sure we are able to see see it. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got private status on that. Why now? We because I cannot even see that you tag me, right? So so you tag us and then do a short blurb and they will pick our favorite comment and insight. You know, from this two parter. Any any one part lah that you want to share? Okay, shout out to our friends at Audio Technical. We have been using their equipment since forever, right? So I'm very happy to have them give us a. Yeah, but right, to give away and many other equipments, right? So thank you, Audio Technica, for this new set. And yeah, we will continue part two on this whole investing thing. Of course, part two, I want to focus on like actionables, like how do we do it, right? If we have 100,000, how do we start? But I know part one, we added off with the whole Warren Buffett has shifted, right? So what is the Buffett methodology now? So when we look back all the way, like when Buffett first started, he actually was a deep value investor. And just to make it relevant for our Singaporean audience, right? One example of a deep value investor 
investment is maybe creative technologies um, about <laughs> oh my five God. to ten years back. <laughs> creative right. technologies. Yeah. You all still remember the MP3? Yeah, I used to be so proud that I have yeah, it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Nah, then, oh my God, then no more already. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so there was yeah. once whereby they sued Apple for infringing on their patents, right? One of their technology and they won. So they, they got paid like a millions of dollars. And as a result, in their bank account, there's like, a, I can't remember the figures, but probably around 70 million dollars for example and the company was selling on the market for maybe 40 million so if i were to buy the entire company today at 40 million i actually would make money immediately right because mm. the cash the on cash the is bank is already 70 right? yeah. yeah so this is what i call a deep value investment and it was very prevalent back in warren buffett days like right after the great depression there was a period of time whereby a lot of companies because investors didn't want to touch the stock market so a lot of company was selling for below what they have in their bank account right but over time you know as the stigma of the great depression wanes off opportunities like this especially in the united states are getting lesser and lesser mm. in asia we still have a few like creative technologies a few years back hong kong there's quite a lot but the problem with these kind of <laughs> companies right is like watching paint dry mm. there's a good reason why they are priced that way usually mm. it's very ugly yeah mm. and the way to go about investing in these companies is you don't want to own a big position in one of them you want to own like dozens like 30 to 50 positions of this and then you let them dry Mm. you see which one win which one lose but most of the time for most of these type of deep value investors the winner will pay for the losers but, mm. but that's the deep value investing style and because Warren Buffett his capital is huge now and there's a better way out there which is to invest in quality compounders right companies with a very long growth runway who are able to keep reinvesting in growing their business making their business stronger and you know in our episode 1 if you haven't watched go and watch that when you think about returns right it's always total shareholder returns you want to mm. look at the share price you want to look at the dividends and when you're looking at a share price it is always a function of how well the business is doing mm. which is why he's gradually shifted to owning much higher quality companies they are not that ugly right mm. the value is always ugly very ugly one very Turn ugly place, huh? you know, <laughs> one in a few right most of them don't get to turn around they just turn down yeah Beh. You got a reaction just now, Hong Kong? No, I mean, I think that's the problem with a lot of kind of fundamental statement analysis, right? Mm. You say, okay, 40 million market cap, 70 million cash. Yeah. The assumption is that 40 million moves closer to 70 million because it's liquidation value, mm. right? But you forget that you are a business owner, you own a share, it's fine. You don't actually manage the company. Mm. So they could invest at 70 million, lose all of it, and then you end up with a zero dollar company, mm. right? Mm. Or you could, you know, especially in Singapore and Hong Kong, have a lot of family holding vehicles, right? That they are not necessarily aligned with external retail or external even institutional investors, then they, they don't ever return that money, right? They just hold it, they, they slowly pay dividends, so mm. they use it to invest in side projects. Their, their capital allocation might not be the best, right? Mm. And which then, is quite common. Which is mm. family yeah. of quite quite common. Which major is, companies very yeah, common. Yeah, yeah, especially the capital this allocation region, right? is not the best. Capital yes, in, I, I can agree with capital that. Capital allocation is not to give it's, the greatest shareholder returns. Yes, it's not as strategic. I feel yeah. like a lot of their capital allocation is not as strategic even when they allocate capital because at some level the main business have reached terminal growth, yes. right? That means it's a very balloon. How many more store can you have, mm. right? Let's say, uh, so then you start to acquire side brands, yeah. right? Or you start to do other things, right? But are there synergies? If there are no synergies, then you grow laterally from your manpower, right? Then yep. you have to manage multiple brands at the same time. So there's a lot of these kind of things that I feel allocation-wise is really not as great, right? I feel uh, at least my, my take. Uh. Yeah, so you don't necessarily always close the gap, right? Then mm. the average market tells you you'll close the gap, your multiples arise, you will be valued like that and you you make that return, mm. right? But if you have a management that doesn't align with it, 
that will not return you that cash as a shareholder, what's the point? Mm, you know, yeah. so deep value maybe still works, but you really need to be very careful of that individual company's context to see mm. whether it works. Mm, fair, fair. Okay, great. So yeah, uh, no brands don't cancel us. Okay, we will pick <laughs> <laughs> it all out. But yes, okay. So uh, part two. In part two, mm. I want to have a little bit more context around this, right? So for some reason, there's this hundred thousand thing going around. Like everyone is talking about hundred thousand, hundred thousand. So I'm gonna talk about this a lot, right? Ooh, so yeah. so yeah. what is your what is your take? Like if you start with a hundred thousand, like must you start with a hundred? thousand or like why is this hundred thousand benchmark such a thing like in your head i think it probably feels more empowering that you know especially if you start from nothing then when you hit your first 100k you'll be like wow mm. show Mm. But um, the the only real I know benefit, that feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's quite shook. But I don't get why it's so arbitrary. Like it has to be a hundred thousand. It's a nice one number, ma. Yeah. You fifty, hundred, then a million. Maybe a bit too far, so you go five hundred. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I, fair, fair. I, I, can, I can foresee people on TikTok saying like hundred k. Why so little? Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say that. Eh? <laughs> 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 why why aim so small? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But TikTok people must wake up. Yeah. 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 So please continue. But when it comes to investing, I think it's best not to start with a huge amount. Because um, no oh. matter how well you read, how well you learn, you will have to pay school fees. One, no matter how high your IQ is, the market will hand your ass on a plate back mm. to you. Mm. And it's always better to start young, start with a small capital base. Then you know your school fees won't be that expensive, lah. What is the scenario that the market hand it back to you? I I think like um over the last year, not just with retail investors. So I I was speaking with a few fund managers, and they mentioned you know when they go to sleep, a lot of them are actually wearing mouth guard because they are chewing their teeth yeah, 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 uh, yeah. and it's until like their molar will start cracking. So that was how much stress investing could give a person, especially if they are investing large amount comparatively to their net worth. Yeah. Right. So when it comes to investing, we never know when the market will go south. And sometimes it might not be because your analysis is wrong. You might be correct, but the market is irrational, right? In the short run. And so when they disagree with you, no matter how smart we think we are or how emotionless we think we are, when we see our net worth dive bomb like this, there's going to be a lot of stress. But as you invest over time with a smaller capital base, you slowly start to build it up. You'll get seasoned. And these kind of crashes will give you lesser and lesser stress over time mm. as you slowly start to ease into the amount. So that means 100,000 does not matter. It can start anytime. Yeah, I think you definitely can start anytime. But 100,000, there there's one advantage you get qualified for Mm. I don't know whether you want to censor that one <laughs> but when you're at IBK Pro uh, yes, yes. your idle cash will get like maybe 4% interest mm, right yeah, higher yeah. than all the GXS and all uh, that above 10,000 yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. USD uh, above yes. yes correct yeah then you, you get a very nice return just for putting cash there for example mm-hmm. I mean so that's the that's the main benefit of above 100k I guess mm. okay fair mm-hmm. fair fair I kind of agree in the sense that you know, the, the, the I... best time to start is yesterday right it, oh. it's not it's not I need to have a certain amount that I go all in but you know it's, it's not I got 100k now I'm going to jump one time school one mm. I make money I live off it for the rest of my mm. life right mm. it's a process it has to be repeatable it has to be sustainable you have to do this repeatedly mm. right so, so I hiding my belly but you know it's a bit like building a muscle it's about like having putting the reps in right mm. being able to keep doing keep doing keep doing so you should always start right and then you you repeat that process you learn and then by the time you get to a sizable amount of capital then you are a bit more confident because sometimes you don't build conviction just my Warren Buffett did this therefore I did this Thomas said this therefore I can do this right? yeah yeah it's quite you, common you, you can get conviction from other people but it's a lot of getting conviction and saying that it works is 
I've done it myself. I know it worked before. I think logically, theoretically, it can continue working this way. Therefore, I'll do it. Mm. So I, I think you don't need the 100K to start. You can start. And, and we talked about this in part one as well, uh, property versus stocks, right? You can start with small amounts. You can start with fractional shares. And yeah, you know, nowadays fractional shares. And it's so cheap now. Last time mm. I remember buying, <laughs> buying Singapore stock like 30 bucks. Yeah. One transaction, 30 bucks. Yeah. Buy 30 bucks, sell 30 bucks. If I put $1,000 in, right, in, a, in a penny stock, I need to make 6% just to cover transaction costs. Mm. It doesn't work, right? But now mm. it's like $1.30 cents if you go to some of the brokerages. So yeah. why not? It's really so cheap. Yeah. But I never start with the Singapore market. Uh, I started with the US market straight away. I, I started with Singapore right. market because it was what I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. I think what, one thing to be conscious about despite all this jazz about you know repeating and all that is that the amount changes you. Mm-hmm. And, and I experienced this not at the 100k level but at multiples of that where one day I woke up, I realized, hey shit, this is a decently sized amount. I need to start thinking about protecting it a bit more than growing it. Mm. Right? So my goals in that sense shifted because what I wanted with this money kind of shifted. And then that also changed my style yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So what you learned got you here is not necessarily what gets you there. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm learning all these books. I read too much. But I think that is generally you know, where it is. So yet, Again, it's about being flexible, knowing what you want, knowing what you want to achieve. And then, you know, you choose the strategy that fits that goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So I agree. And I will challenge a lot of people that say you must use the same method throughout. You know, I, I think it's a bit interesting, but we can talk about that slightly later. Okay. So yeah, then the next question is people always ask, right? So, okay, I got 100,000. I want to start. Should I go lump sum or should I DCA? Or, you know, do you think both also don't? Right, bit by bit, slowly try. For me, I definitely think the person should DCA lah, mm. because um, you don't want to jump into the pool straight away, right? Mm. Get your get your feet wet so first. So when it comes to investing, the rule of thumb is that time in market matters more than timing the market, mm. which is why I think they probably come from that point whereby you know you just invest in one shot, right? I, I haven't watched the video, so I'm not sure. But when it comes to thinking about investing, there's always that human element. So there is always that that fear and all that whatnot. And when we are first starting out, when we are first getting acquainted with the movement of the stock market, a lot of us, when we first start out, we are going to check the stock prices every day. Oh my God. We are going to check. Every day. (laughs) Maybe every five minutes. Yeah, every moment I'm logging in. You you keep sending the thumbprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now no more. You will get past it. You get numb from it. Yeah, Yeah, you, you will get over it. That's why I think it's important to start small and slowly easing. You want to pay a attention to how you are feeling because mm. it's not just what we think but it's also how we feel because when it comes to investing if the stomach is not strong enough you may have the best plan in the world mm. but if you can't execute it then you are just going to have a, another very expensive lesson yeah yeah so i feel even if you think the market is extremely undervalued now or whatever it is if you are new i think you should slowly wet your feet and then uh, yeah, go in yeah. the market bit by bit actually whatever you just said right it is an endless battle you know between like what is mathematically correct right? Mm. And what is executional reality, mm. right? So mathematically correct, yes, start yesterday or start today, start now, start everything, go in, you know, straight away. Mathematically is superior compared yeah. to if you slowly dip, 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 dip. Right, right, I think that's fair. Yeah. But executional wise, right, all these are realities because you're you're executing your own money. You keep checking, you cannot sleep. Then you do all those weird things, right? No matter how many times other people tell you don't do it, right, you mm. have to build up that muscle. So from the executional front, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, but, that, but you disagree. So something like that. It depends, right? It depends. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, I love it. Depends. <laughs> yes, yes. So you know, I, I think people will always say lump sum, and this is kind of the bias of somebody who has done this a while. Is because back tested lump sum beats DCA. 
Mm. Because timing the market versus timing the market or uh, that kind of axiomatic things that people like to throw around. But I think backtested, it gives higher returns. You want higher returns, why don't you do it? Mm. The mental bit maybe makes sense. I agree. But, you know, I would say at the end of the day, you are who you are. Just because you stress and you check every two minutes, ah, oh, my 100K became 99, became 98. Actually, it doesn't even move that fast. Mm. Right? And here we're talking about ETFs, S&P or NASDAQ 100 or whatever. It doesn't move that quickly. You know, so what is that fear? But if that really makes you lose confidence in yourself, then you need to go back to part one and listen about mindset, mm. right? Because retarget yeah, this whole thing. That yes. is already the wrong beginning. And mm. I mean, even if you feel stressed, you feel whatever, as long as you don't sell, because you kind of trust the process, because we told you so, mm. then <laughs> problem solved. So you can do all these behavioral things to control your own actions. Mm. You know, um, just because you feel stressed, just because you worry a bit more about it isn't necessarily a bad thing. And in some circumstances, it can be a good thing because it forces you to revisit mm. why you did it. Okay, so then today, we set the context. Uh, with 100,000, I want to start investing in single stocks. On some level, I think when people invest in single stocks, fundamentally, they are saying that they want to beat the market, right? Mm. Can we assume that? No. No, no. So that's not the idea. Okay, so I think most people who just want to scratch the itch, they will have a mixture of strategies. So mm. like maybe 80% of their portfolio is in ETFs, indexes. Then yeah, 20% yeah. is scratch that's the itch. Real, yeah, that's the, the real portfolio, satellite. right? The yeah. core yeah. satellite They idea. know themselves well. They know when it comes to drawdown, they will start to doubt themselves. If you lose 300k, you start to think like, oh shit, I just lost a HDB. So when it comes to active investing, to be honest, I don't check the prices that frequently. So it's probably like four to six weeks-ish. Mm. I track the fundamental more often but um, it largely lies with my investing style also so when I'm investing I'm very clear like I'm investing to make my life better mm. not to create more work for myself mm. which is why I will avoid micro caps or companies that are highly leveraged anything that will give me heart attack mm. so things don't change on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis so mm. much a lot of times just by following their latest product updates or even just their quarterly earnings is good enough okay okay yeah and, and so that's how usually I, I approach it. I also try not to open up the brokerage account mm. that much just to because I, I know I might be tempted to do mm. something stupid mm. if I keep logging in and, and look the at the apps price. are learning from the consumer apps. They are yeah. learning. Right? Yeah. So all the little little things because I used to run a small tech company mm. right? so I kind of know what they are doing. It's like hey this one they already proven the right? They gave me first like, and then all mm. the randomness all that right is all a part of uh, the learning to increase your transaction which is beneficial for them not necessarily beneficial they, they, they for increase you. increase your engagement yeah, and yeah. touch points engagement yeah. touch points hopefully you can do more transactions right? yeah, yeah, yeah. you're learning <laughs> huh? very bad oh, you're learning all the bad things so the consensus is not everybody is out there to beat the market when they pick single stocks because that's my assumption you know if, yeah. if you go in with 100,000 and you want to pick single stocks then your benchmark is the index right because if you don't beat the index then why are you picking single stocks okay so I, I think that that's the thing right and we can talk about very many different goals so for example I don't need the highest absolute return. Yeah. I need the highest risk-adjusted return, uh. right? Because I want that I'm closer to retirement, I want stability. Or mm. I know that my personal case is I can save X amount per month. I can invest it. I just need a hurdle rate of 7%. 10 years time, I'll get to where I need to be. So what I want to do when I invest is I don't care what the market does. Mm. Um, I don't need to beat the market, but I want that 7%. So if cash gives me 5% now, great. I'm going to hold cash because that can be a big part of it and just find 9% somewhere. 
mm. right? And then mm. it averages out, I get my 7% and I'm happy. So in, in a sense, I'm a bit like a defined benefit pension plan. Okay, right? okay, okay. So, so I think, it, it, again, it goes <laughs> pension back. Plan. Yeah, like pension plan for myself. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. So in a sense, it goes back to what you want to achieve out of this. Okay. And, and then you choose your strategies and you choose what you do to fit that. Because if you want the highest absolute return, it's very easy. You live up, you buy the riskiest thing and you take, so I will put it Right? You borrow money, you, you buy zero DT options and for earnings the next day, you can make money. Mm. You look at a very different parameters from what we would look at, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. you know, I think you need to know what you want to achieve out of this and then you start choosing your strategies to fit that approach. Okay, okay. I love that point because um, a lot of times people talk about beating the market but not many people talk about you know how much risk are you yeah. incurring. If you settle for lower returns but your risk is drastically lower then that might make sense for a lot of people as mm. well. So then on some level you believe that some single stock picking can be safer than the whole index itself. I think if the person know what they're doing I yeah. think it's possible. Okay, great. We set the basis, right? 100,000, we're going to pick single stocks, right? Maybe not beat the market, but at least be in the ballpark of like 7, 8% at least, then go further from there, right? Okay. So if someone wants to do that, how will you teach the person to start? First of all is that you must always think in terms of 5 to 10 years time horizon. It doesn't matter if you beat the market 1 to 2 or 3 years or you underperform 1 to 3 years. Ultimately, it is the long run that matters because it's not possible for someone to beat the market year after year. Even mm. for Warren Buffett, right? One of the best investment results in the entire world he don't beat the market every single year there are going to be years whereby he underperformed there are going to be years whereby he overperformed and what's important for someone starting out is first you must make sure you are adequately diversified because especially when it comes to 100,000 if you're investing only in 4 to 5 companies if one of them go wrong you're going to be heavily punished of your overall capital yes, you're yes. going to be heavily punished right yeah. so you want to be adequately diversified and what is considered adequate diversified I would think it's anywhere between 10 to 20 stocks because when it comes to diversification right the benefit of diversification there was a study done on this like it drastically drops after 30 companies but by owning between 10 to 20 and the reason why I don't say after 30 because most people have a you cannot handle job. 30 yeah. it's very hard right keep up 30 companies it's so difficult yeah. Yeah. so yeah. we always must bear in mind every company we have right we must go through the financial result we need to go through the earnings calls and so forth mm. so to enjoy the benefits of diversification and also at the same time you know your companies within the amount of time you have I think 10 to 20 is a sweet spot for most people. I agree. Then the next thing you want to do is you must make sure you go on and study these companies because like there's a whole range of checklists we need to check off when we are analyzing companies. But if I were to boil it down to just one question is why does this company deserve to be bigger 10 years from today? Because that answers many things. That answers like why people will not disrupt them. What are their competitive advantages that will allow them to earn excess profits over its competitors? And ultimately, when you're owning a company, you want to make sure that fundamentally the share price is going to track the performance of how the business do over time. And if you are able to answer with a pretty good certainty that this company will be around 10 years from today and they will be stronger, they will be bigger, then chances of you earning excess return is probably pretty good. Fair. Okay. I think that's a good assumption. Okay, but, but I want to ask one question on portfolio allocation. Let's say we assume 20 companies, mm. right? And I got 100,000. Does it mean that every company that I go into is 5,000? Is that how you would think about it? I would think about it in terms of cost basis. So that, that is how I would allocate. What does that mean? 
Meaning like if I want to have, let's say 20 positions, right? Then mm. I'm just going to allocate on a cost basis 5% to each of them. Okay. So you will not factor like bigger you know, company, uh, uh, no, none of those things? Not not so much about, I mean, I would play around between that 1% to 5%, but I'm very reluctant to go beyond 5 or 10% on a cost basis for each position. Mm. I used to be a lot more aggressive when I was younger. But um, when it comes to investing, it's important to diversify adequately because ultimately, if you are in for the long run, right, capital preservation is important. I think we are going to talk about certain circle of competence later on. But the most dangerous thing when it comes to investing is not what we know that we don't know. It's what we think we know, but we actually don't know. <laughs> right? All the assumptions, yeah, right, yeah, essentially, yeah. essentially. What we think we know, but we don't know. And a lot of times, it is this kind of risk that will slap us big in the face. Yeah. And the only way to go around it is through proper diversification and allocation. Mm, okay. So, and in your view, cost basis is the best way to start. Yes. Right. So, 5%, 5%, if you're doing 20, mm. 20 companies. Okay, fair. And then you? I mean, if the goal merely is to 7-8% beat the market, honestly, I'll just put 60-70-80% in ETFs. Okay, right? if that, we move away from no, the No, no, wait, wait, let yeah, me finish. Yeah. Oh, okay, right? okay. That, that forms the base, okay, right? Okay. And then the remaining 20%, right, you can hold in cash while you study because you get decent cash rates now. And then you swing for the fences. Mm, you know, mm. you really look at things that you have super high conviction in will outperform. It's the next Amazon, it's the Chris Mayer 100 bagger type mm. of companies. You swing for the fences for those because you are less worried about your downside risk. Mm. Right? Your downside risk is literally limited to 20%. You can be very, very concentrated in these and then you really study you and you just follow three companies. Right? It's, it's a bit easier Fair. Right? On, on your thesis mm. and your time and then you really go for it. You, know? you, you take the risk in that 20%. You go crypto... And not Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is safe now. <laughs> Bitcoin, Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin is the beta. There's right? no more alpha. Um, in you go buy super, super small companies or smaller companies that you know could theoretically grow. You don't go and buy Tesla because even if they grow from 800 million to 2 trillion, that's two and a half times. That, and over 10 years, that's not super great compound your growth rate. Then you swing for the fences, you go mid-cap, you know, $10 billion companies that could become a hundred billion or an extra billion dollar company mm, in, in mm. 20 years. And then you swing for the fences there and that is where you make all such results. We still go back to fundamentals. Fair, I, I think it's just I, the I approach is different. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very different approach, right? So this one yeah. is like 20 different companies. I say we just take 20 different companies, 5% each, right? Broadly, I the, got 503 companies. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, 60% in the ETF, which is the 500 companies. And then uh, maybe like 20% in three companies, right? Yeah. Okay, and then you go for the highest conviction, mid-cap play, right? Yeah. Okay, so important, uh, we talk about cap. Okay, I think that, that that's a great discussion. So how important is the capitalization of the company and for simplicity's sake it means the overall value of this company bought in totality today so this whole company is worth 500 billion if you buy every single share today that is a market cap 500 billion so how important is market cap when you're analyzing as a beginner when if you are investing in micro cap, I think it's under five hundred million. I can't remember the, mm. the exact There's cut off. Just some definitions yeah. here and there. Yeah, it just means yeah. it's a it's just a small means, company. Yeah, yeah. And by the virtue of them being a small company, it means the range of outcome is going to be a lot wider yeah, as compared yeah. to a Microsoft, right? Yeah, yeah. Microsoft five years from today, it's probably still going to be the operating system we are going to be using. Mm. Probably, mm. but if you are talking about a much smaller company, they might not be around five years from today. And when it comes to investing, even in the US or anything, this 
disclosures for a lot of these micro cap is going to be way lesser yeah, than yeah, what the yeah. big companies is going to have. And so for a lot of micro cap investors, they really do this thing called scatter butting, meaning like they will really go and track this Instagram page of this company grow how fast, how many users, how many they are gaining on a per day basis. I know, even Glassdoor, all these are yeah. side things they also pick up as they a, will go as and a track evaluation everything. structure. If their product is on sale on Amazon, they'll be tracking how many are sold every single day and all that kind of whatnot because they are trying to get uh, information advantage over other investors because when it comes to micro cap a lot of this information not exactly transparently to everybody you mm-hmm. have to put in effort you have to go and dig I even know people who will track you know at the back of the plane got a number they will track where the CEO is flying to know where they are doing business deal so that they can try and have a better I don't want to be friend with your friend they're very scary oh, very scary yeah. <laughs> very scary it's like you want to have a private yeah, 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 it's okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe uh, next time okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So so when it comes to investing in very, very small companies, you need a lot more work. And risk is not in movement of share price, but is in the, the outcomes that could happen for the company or for your investment. Mm. And in that sense, the range is a lot wider. So the risk is also higher. Mm. So if I'm starting out today, I would start with companies that I'm more familiar with. That mm. doesn't mean that we go and buy brands that we use. Like I use Uniqlo, I go and buy Uniqlo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're not going Peter Lynch. But you know, it's a good place to start because you understand the product. Then that's where you see whether this company, is it a good investment or not so that that's a pretty good starting so point so that's micro cap right? but what about like mid cap something like a 10 to 30 50 billion type of company which is actually quite a lot yeah. in the market right and then yeah. quite a few of them did perform by the time your company at 10 billion right some structure is there really mm. right you may not be the market leader but mm. there's a product there's a space you know you have a generally quite defined market that you're addressing and, you have and a story and you yeah, go you for optionality yeah, you can like oh invest here you know there are yeah. like more things already by the time you're there what is your take on that kind of company like I think when investors are investing in mid cap or loss making companies they're not necessarily bad but we must understand that for a lot of loss making companies or smaller companies there is no I love the assumption. 10 billion means loss making yeah, which is true. Be profitable, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is yeah. Later, 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 you control. How, how much is C market cap? Uh, I think probably 40. 40, 40, 40, 40, yeah, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, company will be buying back shares aggressively. Mm-hmm. And even if I'm not allocating cash, additional cash to Meta, for example, I know for sure Mark Zuckerberg will be buying on my behalf. He'll mm-hmm. be buying back the shares, he'll be cancelling the shares. And as a result, my ownership all this will increase mm-hmm. proportionately. So he's not going out there to fight. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're very sure he's not fighting? This one I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually curious to watch it happen. <laughs> I wouldn't want him to go and fight and get injured and all the yeah. shit. No, 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 yeah. no. But yeah. But when it comes to investing in mid-cap, these companies could potentially give you very high returns. Mm. But we must be honest with ourselves as investors. Do I have the stomach for this volatility? And do I have the time and interest in tracking a lot of C's limited movement? Because for a lot of my friends investing in C limited, they will be tracking a lot of things on Google Trends, you know, like how much web traffic is going to the app, how much web traffic is going here and all that whatnot to try and gain some insights over other investors so I mean for myself I do have a few positions in mid caps like this but it's not big because again I'm investing to fit my lifestyle and not to 
create more headache for myself. Mm. So when companies like this, they have a bad quarter, you know, in a short run, they fall. I'm quite all right because it is a small position. Mm. Most of my positions are anchored in much bigger companies. Okay. So so yeah, quasi-indexing lah. Uh, quasi, <laughs> quasi. Not really quasi I mean, the indexing. big boys make up yeah. a big part of the yeah, index, right? right? So yeah. yeah, okay, 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 fair. Then what about you? Meat cap, all those? I don't really look at market cap, to be so honest. So it's not important. Um, mm. it's, it's less important to okay. me. I, I get all these points around development and yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, I get what you're saying. But I think what I like, companies that are well covered. So it's, you know, it's either they are trending on X, not Twitter. So everybody <laughs> loves covering them. Like, and you, you get all these stocks in the ZGIS. They come to you in the Ether and then you go, ah, interesting company. I go look at it. And the, the reason why I like this is thinking back about what is my skill. Mm. My skill is I'm able to absorb information. I'm able to process information relatively well and I can come to my own decision over what these things are. And because of that, you know, what I want is I want information flow. I don't want to go and track all these primary indicators. I want people to tell me what these primary indicators are, what their thoughts about it because that kind of leads to the market and why I disagree. Mm. When I disagree, okay, is this mispriced in a pricing in sense? Is there some inefficiency that I think the market is not very correct and I will go into it. So well covered is more important than yeah, so, cap so well size. covered. There's, there's people talking about it. Okay, it's more important okay, than okay. actually having to do all the primary work itself. It's a bit like doing research, right? Do you do research from the very beginning and, and try everything or do you stand on what other people have done for their research mm. and try to build onto that? Yeah, and based on that, I have an extended question, right? Essentially, is what is your take on people just reading someone else's analysis and then making a decision? Because I think for a lot of people that are out there investing, especially when they are still, you know, a bit younger and newer, younger in the investor sense, yeah. uh, but there is a general tendency and then just, that's why all these brokers and banks, they throw out thesis. So, it is a thing. People do that. Right? What, what is your take on new investors doing that? I think you always have to go back to the source and develop your own opinion first mm. before you even read what other people think because what they think is going to have a very strong anchor to your thoughts. I had an intern last time. When I asked him about certain things and his answers, you know, were all pretty flaky and all that whatnot. And then that was when I realized, you know, a lot of times when he do research, he only read what other people are writing about. He don't go back to the source document. He don't listen to what the management is saying. And it's a bit like... Like I hear about maybe what other people say about Reggie instead of getting to know Reggie yeah. himself. What they example. say, what they say. Uh, you uh, want, you come. Relax, relax, relax. Off camera, off camera. Yes, yes, yes. But, but when it comes to investing, that's how I feel about it. We always have to go back to the, the source documents, do our own due diligence before we even consider reading what other people write about it. And that in itself, the ability and the framework of thought to evaluate primary source documents is also very, very very, very long discussion. What yeah. do you look at? How do you think about? What are the parameters? Blah, 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 and which we, we will not be able to cover today. There's too many right. things in that, right? So sign up for Thomas's course. Right? I think he has a new, <laughs> course, a, a new course coming out. Maybe we will have a course also. So we'll see. We'll see how that comes along. But but I think the idea is uh, you must gather some sort of a framework of thought around this thing. To simple terms, is like how, what do you look at? How do you think about this, right? This thing takes time to form. Don't just read other people's analysis. Nah. But what is your take? You yeah. sound like you have a different take. I mean, I get it. But I think the fundamental point point is two things, right? One is you need to kind of have your first principles, your guiding star as to mm. what you think drives outsized returns over the long run. Mm. Um, whether that's, you know, you go to look at Mabosin as return on invested capital, look at different metrics, whatever, right? So what is your guiding star then? I think you, you want companies that 
one are aligned with shareholders, so they are generally shareholder friendly. That's why you hate family businesses, oh, right? Are, I, I, I have a lot of <laughs> a money. A lot of people got a lot of grievances around no, that. I that was mean, like another I, talk. I was talking to the ESR CFO for, mm. for work um, mm. the previous day, and oh my god, the stories that he can tell after the Sabana mm. reading uh, is amazing, and we can do that later. Yeah. But you know, I, I think the reality is that you kind of need to know what your North Star is, what is your fundamental belief that drives returns, whether that some the growth investors like, ah, oh, growing revenue, that'll be great. Yeah. Good Growing revenue, that's a good, start. Yes, good for unit them. economics, mm-hmm. you know, they will make money. The expectations investors, like, oh, we, we want return on invested capital and we want some growth in return on invested mm, capital. RIC bigger than WACC yeah, or something like that, right? And, yeah, so everybody got their own in things. in the long term, yeah. I think that, that more towards your approach, it will compound steadily over time and, mm. you know, problem solve. So you kind of need to know what vibes with you. And many ways to skin a cat. No one absolute correct way. So once you have that North Star, then I think the fundamental thing is you need to validate what the company is. Does and it meet the North Star? Does it meet sense? the North Star? Okay. And I, like secondary sources more than primary sources and that's why we talked about well-covered companies yeah. it's because there's always competing viewpoints mm. so I can develop a view that's my view based that upon is based the many... on multiple views Okay. and the key is that you are validating your thesis along certain axes that you're optimizing for the key is not I must go and do the work and read the financial statements okay. and listen to every single fair, word that fair. has ever been said about this company fair, fair, fair. I mean that's a fair point that's a fair point so essentially based on your North Star right? Yeah. what you're going for yes. Okay. but then what is your North Star I mean I, I just want to ask like based on what he was saying right? so in the same lingua franca what are the main things that you look at for the company that you're going to buy or what is the underlying the theory that you hold to I, I think it depends on the business model of the company right? for example if I'm investing in a company like Costco for example then obviously I wouldn't be looking at their gross margins because the whole value proposition is low prices for the customers but what I would be tracking closely is perhaps like stuff like revenue per square foot or how much members membership members, you know, how business. much they churn yeah. so on and so forth and I'll be listening very closely to management as to what their future strategies are. The thing about looking at all these metrics is or what my North Star is, the thing is going to be different from company to company. Okay. But ultimately, we always want to ask ourselves why would they earn excess returns over time? Or mm. rather, how are they keeping competitors away? Okay, okay, fair, fair, mm-hmm. fair. I think there's a lot of things to discuss when it comes to like the framework to evaluate single specific stocks. We definitely cannot cover everything today, but if, if all of you like it, comment, share, let us know. We will probably do more okay can do more <laughs> <laughs> hey Tom Thomas come on the show it's very difficult one can do more uh, yeah, uh, I try okay, 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 okay. Don't try. It's very good, Don't try. So you must. You he know, didn't say no. Yeah, he didn't say no. He said try. So you must comment, share, ask questions. You know, and and then from there we will think of uh, more specific things to answer. Okay, so that is great. So we already covered the part about like how do you start the things that you look out for the North Star accumulating over the period of time, right? I think the the question a lot of people will ask is like, when do I sell? That is a classic question, right? When when do I sell? Yeah, maybe you want to talk a little bit about like I answer for him. This is. Change. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like that. Don't like that. But, but yeah, what what mean you sell? Maybe I talk about the the selling thing. So I mean, okay. there's three reasons I would sell. One mm. is if I discovered that I'm wrong. You know, like something. Like see limited. I, I think you like, sound like you sold. What? I mean, I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. sold last year or okay, something. Okay. After they demonstrated that Garina, which is the cash cow, has started to decline, and the whole thesis around C limited is that it must become number one in Southeast Asia for them to become hyper profitable in the future and mm. that's the game of e-commerce right for 
Amazon mm. or for Mercado Libre you or any company like that, you must one. be the number one, mm-hmm. right? And for them to do that, they were outspending Lazada, they were outspending GoTo and all that whatnot in the Indonesia market. And that was allowing them to climb up to number one. When Garina was starting to go downhill because India banned and then COVID reopened, people start to spend more time outdoors. That Which is cash great. engine Just saying, don't keep playing games. Yeah, don't keep playing games. <laughs> but, and that's the dichotomy, right? So yeah. As an investor, you want people to do that, but actually, yeah, like, don't, yeah. don't yeah. play games. That, that's not to say that it is a lousy company or what, but for me, that was my thesis. Garina is going to sustain itself and it's going to power up their e-commerce operations. And when that changed, that thesis was broken for me. And then the, the second thing that will trigger me to sell is if the company has become egregiously overvalued. So for example, when Cloudflare went to 100 times price to sale, it was ridiculous. For them to grow into that valuation, they need to compound at more than 50% like into the decade or something like that. And when I ask myself, is this going to be reasonable? Is this even reasonable assumption or not? The most aggressive of assumption. If it's not reasonable, then I think it's probably wise to take some money off the table. Mm. Generally, if it's a bit overvalued, I'm not. What is fair value then? Because there's a base assumption that, right? Based on price of sales, there are 100x. Right. What is the fair valuation that you are benchmarking so on? when it comes to valuation, there's always a few factors. One is profitability. Second is growth rate. And third is how long can they keep doing that? Yeah. And when you put in those assumptions in, you try and think about, you know, their end state, what their margins will be like or at their end state. For how many years must they grow at that 50% and then you apply a reasonable terminal multiple to that and you start to see that the returns still doesn't make sense. Then to me, that is way too overvalued. Mm. But if a company is just slightly overvalued, I have a tendency to continue holding, right? Because time is a good friend of excellent businesses. People that are doing well, you give them a bit more time, right? Companies that are doing well, give them a bit more time. Yeah, sometimes they will just grow into the valuation. So yeah. I'm not a big proponent of exiting once it's overvalued. It's only mm. when they're ridiculous, then mm. I'll start exiting. Or the third reason is if there is a better opportunity out there. And if I don't have excess cash, then that's where I'll rotate some over mm. to a new position. Yeah, mm. so basically these three reasons. Fair, fair, fair. Oh, still, still. Huh? You disagree? Yeah, this, I mean, that's the first one, right? Yeah, this is change, right? I yeah. agree with that. Yeah, um, yeah, you okay. know, you, you kind of, and I, I think that, that makes sense. I think mm. where we differ is I, I just put a different weightage. Yeah, context. yeah. So, I mean, it, we take the example of C, even though they're not sponsoring us. Yes. Right? I agree with you. Once Garina started coming down, the flywheel you see starts slowly stopping. It was always that flywheel effect. I have cash. I dumped that loss-making business. One day, that loss-making business will be great. Um, I'll be great at gaming. Win, win, win. Then that was the super optimal outcome that everybody was hoping for. That's why I shared went that way and then once that optimal outcome started you know failing your thesis kind of starts shifting a bit right because them not having cash did not necessarily mean that they couldn't still be the number one e-commerce player in Southeast Asia which was the bigger price. I mean, they started as a gaming company, they pivoted, but that was the big price. And with C, Capital and all that, they, they still have a few more optionality to play out. So I, I didn't actually sell at, at that stage. I was like, oh, sure, we give them some time, right? They have good management. Mm. And actually what I was quite impressed with was they kind of flipped a switch, right? They went from, I burn cash, burn cash, burn cash, market share, market share, market share, to I want to be profitable, mm. right? They, they flipped that switch, the markets want this, and they did it. And that kind of gave me a bit more confidence in them that sure, no, they can still win that price. I'll buy a bit more at a cheaper valuation. I I know that I don't have that flywheel, so necessarily I won't win all three things, but I can still win one or two. Right, and my valuation goes based on that possible one or you two change. Yeah, at this price, can I still get a decent rate of return? Mm. The answer is yes. Sure, I can buy more. I don't need to sell. I mean, I ideally I sold at the top and buy at the bottom, and I still believe in the thesis. But yeah, sure, I, I can buy more. I have, I have more capital. And where I actually sold was sure they had done all this and they had shown good management, but 
the markets, at least up to this earnings, really overran it. And then they started valuing C as if it was going to be a great growth company again, mm. when it clearly wasn't the case. To me, that was when the pricing had kind of overstepped the thesis or what the limit for the company was, or it would have taken a long, long time to, to grow into that. Like they were pricing that C showing. So like, okay, you know what? This, this is a bit too much. I've made a nice 100% of, of this run up. I'll sell it. Mm. <laughs> I trim my position, it, it come back down. We can reevaluate the thesis again. And, and that's the thing about when we talk about thesis or about companies and what we think about company, it's always changes. You know? mm. Every single new piece of information that comes in should change what you think about company. I mean, it doesn't have to change. You shouldn't change 180 degrees. Mm. Right? You shouldn't have one piece of information come in. Wow, this company greatest in the world to this company. But you need to keep adjusting your frame of reference. You need to keep thinking about why that company is doing what it is, what makes it good, what makes you think it can deliver you outsized returns. And then, you know, you keep adjusting that train of thought as new information comes in, as new earnings reports comes in and things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Somebody we talk a little bit about circle competence at the end because I think for a lot of people when they're first starting, we've covered quite a few major touch points, but where do you really start, right? And I think circle of competence is quite a decent framework to think about. Mm. Like where do you start? Whether is it starting a business, starting investing, all that. I think, you know, on some level, you got to realize that there is a sphere that you understand better than other spheres. So uh, maybe you can share with us what is circle of competence. Right. Well, maybe I'll just give you a quick introduction. So a lot of times when investing, we always say we want to invest within our circle of competence. In other words, it just means what we know. And outside that circle of competence is what we don't know. So we want to be very clear about that. So for me, that's pharmaceutical company, 100%. Uh -huh. I don't know. Even though the, complex. the take a few years to understand returns on shit. invested yeah. capital for the industry is great. Yeah. I, I will not go in because I don't really understand which is the next pharma company that will produce mm. the winning drug for example. Mm. So I avoid that. But there's also another aspect of circle of competence, which is the part whereby I think I know, but actually I don't know. And that that is also equally dangerous. And but it's hard to... It's very... Yeah, that, I think that one is like, you don't know what you don't know. That part is a bit hard to, you know, prep for it. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, 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 it's just, you're forever going to get a blind spot until you see that. It's when the share price drops 50%, then you'll start questioning. Like, oh, I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, do yeah, I really yeah. know this? Or not? Yeah, yeah, okay, then, okay. Then that's where, yeah, that's where it starts yes, to... I'm yes, great. <laughs> <laughs> the market is wrong. Everybody is wrong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I for sure more. this one can. Uh, 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 but yeah. And if you did that for Meta or Netflix or Nvidia a year ago, you have mm, done great, mm, right? Yes, yes, so, yes. You know, okay, okay. The market overthinks, right? In the mm. short term, we all agree. Yeah. So do you believe in the circle of competence in that sense? Yes. It depends, right? Uh, I, I think circle of competence is not so much knowledge, mm. right? Because knowledge, you can build, you can read, you can learn, you can research, whatever. It's skills. Because I think at the end of the day, and this is kind of the fun part about equities, it, it's kind of a competition, right? You mm. are up against, I mean, it's a competition for yourself and your mental beliefs and all of that, but it's also kind uh, of... So uh, liberal left, huh? Yeah, an, an <laughs> amalgamation of what other people think it's about true. different it's companies true. and, yeah, and yeah. all of that. And that makes up the market. So, you know, you need to kind of know, okay, fine, there's all these people who are going to study these companies very deeply they'll know more about financial statements they'll know more about accounting they know about modeling they know more about e-commerce because they are in the industry where what is my advantage where can I realistically have been in a better position than all of these people mm. to make excess returns and, and that's why I kind of go back to secondary reports and all of that yeah. because I believe that my competence or my skill and this is something that I hone in my day job every single bloody day mm -hmm. I'm talking about arguments is <laughs> arguing I mean, people a lawyer, right? Sorry, right? Yeah, yeah. is that well you know I can weigh arguments and I can come up with what I believe is the right mental model and the right way to think about a certain company mm -hmm. right and that will drive my outside returns so it's not uh, industry specific it's thing. not industry it specific is it's what as a person you are what am I good, good at, at? 
Okay. Right? And okay. how you can translate that into getting you better returns. That's interesting yeah. view because I think a lot of times when we're talking to like a uh, ground up of fundamental investors, people that pick stocks. I, I really hear that view. It's more like primary source information. You know, you must set up your mental frames. You understand all those things. But that's a different no, way. I mean, I that, that's not important. But you, mm. you need to know yourself. Fair, you fair, you fair, can know fair. everything else. You don't know yourself. And, and, you don't uh, know how you react. Let's be clear. Both are, both are equally valid, right? Yeah. It's, it's not... It's not no, mit- I, I don't not think it's exclusive. one or the yeah, other. You need both. You need both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. Great. Any last things you want to say, you know, based upon like people starting out as an investor? Maybe just like um, two more things. If you have existing high credit card debt or whatever, clear that one offers. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Don't invest until you clear don't that thing. I think you off. can run beyond that. Please. 20 over% returns is very difficult to beat that. Yeah. So go and clear that. Then make sure your downside is protected. If you don't have emergency cash, go and have that. If you don't have insurance, settle the insurance part. Mm. Make sure you don't get disrupted from the stock market because you never know when the stock market will agree with you. You. For all you know, it may go down for the next three years and you don't want to sell when the company is actually still doing okay. It's mm. just the market not agreeing with you in the short run. You, you need to avoid getting knocked out. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's true. Yeah, If you don't die, you can come back again. Yeah. So yeah, in closing, uh, where can people connect with you if they want to join your program and I, all that stuff? I think like um, if you want to look for me, you can find me at steadycompounding.com or if you want to look for me on socials, Instagram or Twitter, that's steadycompound at Steady Compound. If, if people want to talk to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, are there any direct channels? <laughs> not yet, not yet. Okay, there, there will okay. be. Yeah, there I know be you're setting out your stuff, right? Yes. So we will, we will come back to you and uh, we hope you find these two episodes very, very beneficial. And yes, uh, sign up and participate in the giveaway, okay? Share this on your socials. Let us know what is the best snippet that you've gathered from these two parter, okay? Share the podcast and the snippet and then we'll pick, lah, okay? we got three votes. Each okay. of us will pick our favorite and then, you know, the person that gets the most vote, then we but, win. But when must they share? When the episode goes up, okay? So when part two goes up, are you share within 24 hours we'll pick somebody then we'll let you know okay thank you guys bye bye, bye. bye.